Let's read God's word. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. That's significant. Verse 12, And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, that's significant. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And may God bless our hearts, this portion of his word. And Remember, it's holy, inspired, it's, uh, it's truth, and we need to study it and meditate on it and hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against him. So again, Saul has this unique conversion, and, uh, and yet, in a way, all of our conversions are unique. We talked about that last week. I don't want to review too much, or we'll never finish, but we saw... The first point, and there was a full point outline, but I only covered two, we saw Saul's campaign of persecution where he was out to not only do the church harm, but to destroy the church, to kill everybody, to wipe it out. And uh, so he was on a campaign of destruction. We also saw his incredible conversion, uh, the activity of Christ in his life, confronting Saul, correcting Saul, and converting Saul. And today, the last two points we want to look at are Saul's first contact after his conversion, who was Ananias and uh, a disciple in Damascus, and then his commission to apostleship, ministry, and uh, we see how Jesus, of course, uh, and his resurrected uh, appeared to Saul face to face, which was a qualification for apostleship. So this was a unique man. There's no doubt about it. He uh, greatly used by God, and as I said last week, probably other than Jesus himself was the most godly man that's ever been a Christian, or woman for that matter. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he was uh, greatly used of God. 
And by the way, he's still being used by God. <laughs> so uh, praise God for this man. But I want to, just by way of an introduction, talk about how is the conversion of Saul one of the strongest proofs of Christianity? Why would Saul make this up, what happened to him? It makes no sense for him to make up this story. There have been a lot of speculations, a lot of skeptics. Uh, but this really happened to Saul, or he made it up. You realize that? This is completely true, or it's completely false. And so we have to come to God's word, and as believers we say, wow, it's completely true. Now how do I apply it to my life? Where the skeptics will say things, well, he, his motive really was to get rich. Oh, really? Well, he sure failed at that one, I can tell you that. As a matter of fact, most preachers, I don't think they get in for the money. Is, it, is that right? Uh, <laughs> Got a hearty amen there. But, uh, but anyway, it's almost laughable, isn't it? Some of these skeptics and what they come up with. I think when you look at this evidence fairly, uh, you'll see it has to be true. It has to be true. Because a real man, man named Saul lived. Just like a real man named Jesus lived. Now, we have to make a decision as to who they were. Was Jesus the Son of God? Was he the great I Am? Yes, he was. Was Paul an apostle? Yes, he was. And so, there we go. Uh, if you remain in your unbelief, it's not because there's not enough evidence. Uh, you know, people uh, believe in biological evolution when there is absolutely no evidence to support it. Now, that's insane. It really is. Absolutely not. And if you've ever listened to people like Kent Hovine and, and uh, uh, Ken Ham, Henry Morris, people like that, you'll see all the evidence. And we did that in this body on, in Sunday school for, I think, two years. And uh, it was really encouraging to the hearts of the Christian that all the evidence points to creation and a young earth. But, you know, people are willfully blind and are responsible for that rejection. Romans, again, 1, 18 through 22 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the, ungodliness, all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools." They were responsible. Man is responsible for his rejection. Well, somebody said, well, maybe Saul, uh, you know, wanted to make a mark for himself. Maybe he wanted the fame. Uh, 
the honor, the prestige. Brothers and sisters, he already had that. This was not going to advance him uh, in the eyes of uh, the Pharisees and so forth. Uh, well, you know, maybe Saul had already just started leaning in that direction, and uh, that's almost laughable. Now, these are things that I've found uh, from my studies that people think. No, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was against Jesus and his followers totally. And uh, he was uh, convinced, absolutely convinced that he was right. Just like after his conversion, he was now assured that he was wrong. <laughs> Didn't take a, a real uh, genius to figure that one out. But anyway, so I say to the skeptic, submit the evidence that this didn't happen. You submit the evidence that this didn't happen. And they can't. Uh, he didn't pull a hoax. He didn't purposely deceive. This wasn't a con job by Jesus and the apostles. They didn't just pretend this happened. No. There's plenty of evidence that it's true. Plenty of evidence. And the greatest evidence is our salvation. Being born again. The great evidence here was what happened to this man. And by the way, to the millions of people Who's God, who God has worked in since then. He changed me. You would not have wanted to know me before my conversion. Now, I wasn't a Saul, but I was pretty ugly inside. Now, I, my, my heart uh, was that way. So it's not that evidence may produce faith, but true faith will produce evidence. Paul had the evidence uh, and what he went through. When you read this, say, well, you know, did he get rich from doing this? Did he, you know, did he get fame from doing this? 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder being in prison more frequently being flogged more severely and being exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, and that was enough to kill you. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews and dangers from Gentiles, and dangers in the city, dangers in the country, <sighs> in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Amen to that, brother. <sighs> he got rich, didn't he? He got fame. No, if, if that's the case, he was an idiot. But he wasn't an idiot. 
Christ had changed this man. As I said last week, we saw an about face, a 180-degree turn. And uh, all the millions of people that he's changed since then. And uh, the second, uh, the third point, that's uh, just by way of introduction, but the third point, and there are two points this week, is his first contact, which was uh, with Ananias. And he'd been temporarily blinded by this bright light of Christ, which was the glory of Christ, I'm sure. We find that he's greatly humbled uh, and in his blindness for three days, he uh, doesn't eat, doesn't uh, drink. He is fasting. And I guess he had a lot to ponder, did he not? You know, that, I believe that's why he didn't eat. His thoughts were so intense on who he used to be and, and everything that was going on. He just forgot about his own self his own body, and uh, uh, fasting and praying, it says, for three days. This man was moved greatly. I'd love to have a copy of his thoughts. Have you ever thought about that? (laughs) Well, in some ways we do, but I mean, just what he thought about as he was going through this and his blindness and what had taken place, that'd be an interesting, we'd talk to him about it someday if we care to, but uh, we see... Ananias has orders by Jesus to go to a house of Judas in a street called Straight. And by the way, that street is still there in Damascus, uh, Straight Street. And, uh, and Ananias was told that Saul knows you are coming and what will be done. And so I'm sure that was probably somewhat of a, a, a refreshing thing to hear. But nonetheless we have Ananias objecting. Secondly, uh, Lord, don't you, uh, uh, don't you know the reputation of this man? Yeah. Are you sure you want me to do this, Lord? Now, remember, he's speaking to Jesus, the creator of the universe. And there was great fear involved here. But don't throw stones. Because God tells people every day to do things, and there's fear to do it. That's true in my own life. I have done that in my life. Didn't take a step forward and do what God wanted me to do. Uh, But, uh, you know, it could be a trap, Lord. You know what Ananias should have said? Whatever you say, Lord, whatever you say. And that's what we should do as well. Whatever you want me to do, Lord. And as I said last week, coming to this, this uh, congregation was that way in my life. I heard and I went. And uh, we must obey. Not only that, but do we not see the patience of Christ? Does he not know our unbelief, our doubts, our fears, our sinning against him? And he's very patient with us. He didn't strike Ananias dead and say, okay, I'll find somebody else and kick him out. No, he was very patient. He knows what we go through. He knows what we face. And he's sympathetic, as I talked about last week. And so, 
How does Christ assure Ananias? It's really interesting. He says, behold, see he is praying. Like, yeah, Lord, I can see he's praying, you know. Well, Jesus could see he's praying. Wow. Not plotting, but praying. We need to be doing more of that. This is evidence that this man is a new believer. And I'm going to talk about that uh, in just a moment. But we find thirdly that Ananias obeying and going and laying hands on Saul. The first word Saul hears from a believer, and I'm going to talk about this more at the end, is brother Saul. Brother Saul. Do you realize how huge that is? From a man who had heard about all this man had done, and as far as he knew was still doing, he realizes that there's real evidence that this man has been changed by the power of God. And he says, Brother Saul. I just, uh, it just gets to me uh, when I think about it. Because it, in that word, brother, holds a lot. You know what? We're brothers and sisters in this church. We need to be calling each other brother and sister. Because brother and sister shows what? Love, affection, peace, forgiveness, unity. I see here a healing of Ananias. Yeah, a healing of Saul, but there's a healing of Ananias that he can now say with affection and forgiveness of what Paul had done. We need to forgive one another when we hurt one another and say, dear brother. By the way, how do you know that you have forgiven somebody? You go up to him and say, brother or sister, I forgive you, I love you. That's how you know. If you can't tell somebody that, you haven't forgiven them. Because if they're a brother and sister in Christ, you're to forgive them. And evidence of that will be what Ananias did here with what? Brother Saul. And then lastly, we see the last point is Saul's commission to apostleship which I'm not going to spend much time on, but uh, he becomes, of course, an apostle, a preacher, and two things stand out uh, with him in his life from now on would be his preaching and his suffering. And we see that in the, what we've read in, in Acts uh, 22 and, and Acts 26 where he also talks about his conversion experience. What do we see here? A broken vessel. A broken vessel. A broken vessel that Christ was poured into. Wow. We need to be broken. We need to be broken so Christ can be poured into us. Paul was broken so that the gospel of Christ would flow out 
and overflow to the world. You know what trouble with most of us is we're not filled up. That's why we don't overflow. Most of us, you know, it's kind of like when you drink a cup of coffee and you get down to the dregs, you know, and it's just, you kind of, that's the way most of our cups are. You know, there's some there, but, you know, we need, it needs to be full. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Because until you're filled with the Spirit, there's not going to be a love. There's not going to be an affection. There's not going to be a unity. There's not going to be giving. It's going to be taking. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And we need to ask for that daily. I'll talk about that at the end. seems like everything I'm going to talk about is at the end now. I want to look at four observations in closing, and I've touched on these, but I think they're very helpful in, the, in applying this in our own life. Verse 11. What will flow from a real regenerated heart? Can you see it there? And behold, he is what? Praying. Wow. You mean a real regenerate heart is going to pray? Yes, it is. Matter of fact, that's one of the first things I did. I remember when I was really converted, I started talking to the Lord for the first time uh, in my life. Except, you know, when I was going to the Episcopal Church where we read prayers, there's a difference between reading a prayer or saying a prayer and praying a prayer. Now, in the Episcopal Church, wonderful prayers, the prayer of confession and and supplication, and boy, and once I became a believer, they meant something when I read them because I was praying them, not just saying them, and thinking about what was uh, gonna, we were going to have for lunch, but I was praying them from my soul. See, there's a difference. You can say a prayer, but are you praying a prayer? So prayer will flow from a regenerate heart. Someone said, prayer is to a believer what crying is to a baby. Do you have to teach a baby to cry? We did. I mean, our kids were so good. We, you know, you had to stick a pen in them, you know, to make. No, you don't. You don't have to teach a baby to cry. Matter of fact, I'm still a crybaby, you know, but uh, in a lot of ways, no. But I'm crying not for mom and dad. I'm crying in a spiritual sense to whom? Jesus. The baby senses a real need. And he knows whether it's a he or a she cannot meet that need. And so they begin to cry. Why? Maybe it's from selfishness, which is the case with us a lot. But sometimes it's diapers dirty. I don't feel good. I need mommy and daddy. How much do we cry out? to our Heavenly Father who knows our needs. 
And that's what Jesus is saying here to Ananias. Behold, he's praying. He is really, really praying. Because I hear his prayers. But you say, wait a minute. He was a Pharisee, was he not? And he prayed all the time. Yeah, he did. But all prayer isn't real prayer, as I've said. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the earth. We should be praying that prayer, uh, not the prayer of a self-righteous man. That's not the one I was looking for. Excuse me. Matthew 6, 5 through 9. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows they, what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, and so forth, the Lord's Prayer. That is a model of prayer. So, Paul was a self-righteous man. He had been praying all right but praying as a hypocrite whom God did not hear. He was not coming through Jesus. Prayer must come from a broken and contrite heart. Paul did not have a broken and contrite heart. Psalm 51, 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. You see, that's what we must have before God for, her, for him to hear us, is to have a broken, not a self-righteous spirit that we've got it all together. No. We need to say to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, and that's the way Paul was, Jesus told this parable, Two men went up <clears throat> to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Now this is the, uh, the broken and contrite heart. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Paul had been humbled. Have you been humbled? Or do you come before God with a proud heart, Someone who is self-righteous, 
because of all your good deeds? Or do you come to God with, be merciful to me, a sinner? Because that's what we are. We're sinners who are in need of the saving grace of God. Like a baby, you must breathe to stay alive. So if breathless, then lifeless. Then if prayerless, then graceless. Do you pray? Do you spontaneously, as Paul did from his heart, pray to God in private? Now I'm not saying that we don't fall into sin and that uh, there are times when we do not feel like we can approach God. I'm not talking about that in a backslidden condition or what have you. But I'm talking about do you spontaneously, when you're going through something, when something's just bothering you, do you just talk to your wonderful Lord and Savior? Do you talk to him? You know, the world thinks you're an idiot if you do, but you're not. Boy, to be able to call out to the Lord spontaneously is a wonderful, wonderful thing. He spontaneously prayed for the first time in his life. One of the most profound names we can call each other is brother or sister. I talked about that uh, I know if I haven't seen a brother or sister for 15 years that I was close to them, when I meet them, I'm still as close. Do you experience that? You love them just like you did when you left them? There is a love there that the world cannot uh, understand. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And so, Paul now is a real believer and uh, has a genuine love for the brethren. It's amazing, isn't it, what we see in his life? It's like having a member of the family, a church body is, and we can say to them, I accept you. I love you, I forgive you, I embrace you. That's profound. You realize how profound that is, that you can have a relationship with other Christians that you can't even have with your own flesh and blood if they're not Christians? That's an amazing, amazing, and I know if you're a believer here this morning, you experience that. You have, you have understood that because of your relationship with other believers. We see that, that uh, in God's wisdom, he prepared Saul not just from the time of his conversion on, but from his mother's womb. Remember, we looked at that last week. But God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased and so forth. In the next verse, but we see all the ways God shaped him and formed him even though he was a brutal man. And I talked about that last week to some. But God was shaping this vessel, and he's shaping you. 
we see his amazing way that he redeems sinners. He redirects us. He repurposes us for his purposes. Romans 8.28, we know that all things are working together for good. He changes them. He does not exchange them. He uses you from where you have come from. Never forget that. Even with all your baggage, he can use you. And we're all unique. And God uses unique people to minister in unique ways. It may be that you were involved in drugs years ago. And now you can help other people who are involved in drugs. Be amazed. God can use you no matter how messed up you may be. And then lastly, being a vessel implies two responsibilities. First one is humility, and the other one is replenishment. You know, some of us are like little teacups that can just handle so much. That sounds like a poem, doesn't it? You can only give and communicate very little. But you know, some of you are big water pots. You can take in a lot and you can give a lot. Where are you in that scenario? Paul was a chosen vessel which did not make him proud but humbled him. Does being a Christian humble you? It should. Why? Because God is the potter. And we are the clay. Romans 9, 20 and 21. But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common uses? He is the potter. We are the clay. Psalm 100 in verse 3, know that the, the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He is the one who made us, not we ourselves. He gets all the glory, and yet we have a responsibility like Paul did. Did you know that you have to be broken to be fixed? You ever thought about that? You want to be fixed? You need a broken and contrite heart to be fixed. A broken vessel. A cracked vessel. A weak vessel. You say, I'm so full of holes. Well, join the club. I've got so many cracks. So do I. But you know what? He can use vessels like that. If we come before him in humility, crying out to him, Declaring to him, Lord, I am a, a man of unclean lips. I need you, Lord. Help me. Strengthen me. Guide me. Direct me. Because without you, I'm nothing. 
Is that your attitude? It should be. You need to be emptied to be filled. Emptied of what? Yourself. Die to self, the scripture says. And be filled. That's our responsibility. Colossians 3.16, and I'm almost done. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, and so forth. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Another translation. Are you doing that? Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You must be filled to pour out. We need to have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. What was the mind of Christ? What did Christ do? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, the death of the cross. We have to humble ourselves, not die on a cross, but die to what? Self. That's hard to do. That is hard to do. And then dwell on Christ richly. Have that mind in other words, think the way he thought, act the way he acted. And we studied that in Sunday school, which was really good because that is not our human nature to do. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit being filled with the Spirit. Let Christ dwell in you richly and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Wow, that's our responsibility. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, it's so easy in one sense to, to talk about it, to repeat it, to read it, to know the truth. But Lord, to have that truth set us free is another thing. Lord, we need your power. We need your grace. We need your humbling. We need to have a broken and contrite heart. We need to be broken vessels. Lord, help us, each one right now, just to examine our hearts. Where do I need to be broken? Are there things in my life that I need to die to? Am I casting all my cares upon the Lord? Lord, speak to each heart. Speak to my heart. May we not be just hearers of your word, but be doers of your word. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.